All right. It is uh, City Group Sunday. <laughs> yeah, the same in first service. We'll get there. A couple of years' time, we'll be doing this, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, City Group Sunday. Woo! Uh, City Group Sunday, we are taking a bit of a pause uh, from our series um, because we want to dive into um, something that launches us into the next um, six weeks in our small groups in homes. For those of you who are not maybe aware, um, we uh, run small groups in homes three times a year for about six to eight weeks. And it gives us a, a beautiful opportunity um, seasonally to dive into something a little bit deeper, to connect with people in our community, in different places and spaces across our city, and to dive in and focus on something we really feel like the Lord's highlighting in this particular season. The beauty of doing that seasonally as well, and maybe some of you have been around this church, in fact, for many, many years, ran small groups every week for years on end, the ever-ending small group life. Um, But actually, we sensed about 18 months ago, the Lord was asking us to think more seasonally, to give us time beyond when we dive into things to reflect. You know, often in small groups, they just are ever repeating. You kind of learn something, you go after something as a small group, and then you kind of on to the next thing. And you're like, oh, that thing never really landed in my life. I never really got time to process and nurture and steward that thing that the Lord was doing with us. And so we felt really led to to, um, kind of, Uh, orientate the way we do small groups around seasons and being able to, in those seasons, go after something really intentionally and then pause, kind of like breathe in and breathe out and give an opportunity to reflect and to immerse ourselves in what God's doing and what he's teaching us and, and allow that to get implemented in our life and do it in a context of community. The other beautiful thing about doing a small group season is maybe many of you were in a small group that you hated for years. And you're like, I hate my small group. I hate my small group leader. This way, you're like, you're in it for six weeks. If you hate it, you just leave and go to another one. Because we move around. You can pick a new one, different night of the week, all of that kind of stuff. So that's a win for everyone, right? (laughs) Oh, so good. But this is City Group Sunday. And we are launching into uh, what we've called and the next six weeks in small groups, uh, uh, community conversations. And I will say this just as a sidebar, like um, if you're not planning on jumping in with us in city groups, that's no problem at all. I hope really you get something from this morning. I believe it will be something that will be uh, uh, valuable to you. But for us as a community, as we kind of think about this season, we, we felt like the Lord was, again, asking us to highlight the beautiful nature of the community that we live in. And, uh, and actually, you know, for some of you that maybe thought, you know, I got into this Christian faith because I thought it was going to be about me, Jesus, my Bible, and nobody else. Like, it was like, it was an introvert's dream. I, I'm part of society, but I don't really have to engage with anyone because it's just the Bible, me, and that's it. And Jesus, maybe, sometimes. But here's the encouragement, that actually, we are not only given new life and new relationship with a heavenly father. Not only are we thrust into new life when we say yes to Jesus, we're thrust into a new living life with a community of people called brothers and sisters. We get a heavenly father who loves us eternally and extravagantly, but we also get to find that and discover that we're part of a beautiful family, brothers and sisters who love us extraordinarily and unconditionally, right? So I love the beauty of being able to, to dive into this, for this next season, some of the stories. And as we'll, we'll find this morning, I want to pull a, a couple of concepts, a couple of um, uh, ideas that Paul brought to the Corinthian church. And I want to apply them to this season because I feel like there, there are really two very critical aspects that we can take into this season, but actually not just this season, take into how we do life in community with one another. And the first concept is this, that our lives tell a story. 
Just look around you. Look at the room. There is a, a, there is a myriad of people, colors, experiences, um, history, pain, celebration. This is a, a beautiful, complex family that is God's family. And in amongst that um, beautiful, complex family are beautiful stories. And your life is one of those. And as we'll discover this morning, there's incredible value on the story of God in your life, your history, your experience, your passions, the things that God's, God's put his finger on in your life and said, this is what you'll burn for. This is what you'll go after for the rest of your life. There's something about your story that is of incredible value to the people around you. And the second thing is this, that those stories are then not just for your own self-gratification and, and sense of importance. They're there for others to learn from, to grow from, and ultimately they're there to help assist us all as a community shape our journeys as we're all pursuing Jesus together. So those are the two very simple concepts. I want to pull something from 2 Corinthians, which was the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and also the first one. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3 and just a few verses from there, and then we'll dive into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in a moment or two. So the verse will be up on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3 says this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Here's the important thing. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Let's pause there for a second. There's a context that Paul's talking on. You're like, I don't really get this whole, like, what's he talking about? Letters of recommendation. The context of Paul's writing is a very nomadic culture. So people at that time and at that day, be it business or be it even itinerant speakers like Paul, they would have traveled around the towns and the villages and the regions and the cities and they would have applied their trade. They would have been salesmen. They would have been speakers like Paul was. And one of the key aspects to that nomadic lifestyle is that you had to bring with you a letter of recommendation. There were, it was a way for somebody who was unknown in a community or a town or a village who when they came in, it wasn't like that community went, hang on a sec, who are you and what are you trying to sell? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? There was, what came with them was a validation and it came in the form of a letter. And Paul had these and it was, and others, people who were in the trade, would, it would have been a way of saying, hey, this, this is a person of integrity. You can do business with them. The, the, the thing that they're selling is of good value. You, you can buy from them. And so there was this whole concept of the letter of recommendation. And it was, it was, uh, it was widespread in terms of particular for like Paul, who was traveling and speaking and sharing because it added weight to what Paul was saying when he would go to a different town or a different city. It would add a, a context to, to his life that he wasn't able to have with certain cities and places because he was arriving there for the first time. So there's the context of it. But what's Paul saying in this particular verse as he writes to the Corinthian church is, is he's kind of kicking against that as a concept. And what he's saying is that actually there, there is, a, is a far more uh, important element that, is, uh, of, that gives one validation. And it's not what you put down in a letter, but it's what you find on someone's life. Right? This is yes, this is no work with me this morning. I know it's Sunday. But... 
But here, so Paul's saying, listen, there's something unique about me and there's something unique about you as a community. And it's not so much about the letters that are written about you, but it's about the demonstration and evidence and what is evident in and on your life. And Paul is saying that the letter of confirmation, of testimony, of evidence, of what Paul had even taught that church, wasn't in a letter, but it was on their life. The evidence was written on how they lived, how they interacted, the, the things that, that, that people would see and experience of their life. That was the testimony. That was the validation of who they were as people, was not what was written down, but was what was displayed on their life. I, I think about it even for our own church. You know, when people come to our community as they do and, and visit, people and move to the city, people who are looking to find a church family, you know, they come in and, and a lot of people, they'll ask, you know, where are your, like, where's your statement of faith? Where's, like, where's your, like, brochure that tells us, like, tells me your vision? And we have some of that stuff. But ultimately, I want to point them at people. You know, when people come in and say, well, what's Vine Life all about? What are your values? What is Vine Life all about? I don't want to say, here, have a pamphlet, read this. I want to say, go hang out with these people. And honestly, this is what I find. Majority of times when I talk to people who visit, visit our church, friends of mine who come and visit, and, and we say, look, this is what we're all about. They'll say, that's what I found in, in, in people. That's what, I've, that's what I experienced in people. And that gives me great joy because there's a, there's a principle here that Paul's trying to say, and that is that there is a, there's a demonstration of who God is, his kingdom, and the reality of the goodness of God, and all of those things that isn't supposed to be written down on a piece of paper for us to read, but it's supposed to be there demonstrated on the lives of those who follow Jesus. And that, my friends, is you and I. And so when people brush up against you, you don't need to provide them with a letter of the things that you believe. You can demonstrate that with the reality of how you live your life. And the story, and, and I love the fact that as we dive into this City Group series, we're going we're gonna to hear aspects of, of the reality of truth of God's Word filtered through the humanity of somebody's life. Not just a, hey, this is what we believe and we didactically teach it from one head to another, but actually this reality of truth we find in Scripture coming through the life of a person and their experiences and their passion and the thing that they've bled for, cried for, all of those things, those things that have come and expressed through their life carry such weight. And these are the things that we get to learn from one another. Paul, in this, these verses here, uses some different imagery, some different metaphor, and it's worth kind of just paying attention to a bit of it. I want to read it to you from the J.B. Phillips translation, because I, I love the J.B. Phillips translation pretty much. So I'm going to read it to you. It says this, You are an open letter about Christ. Love that. You're an open letter. Your life is an open letter. How many of you, like, when, you know, you... When anytime you, there's an open letter in like the news, it's usually like, uh-oh, something big's happened and they've needed to make a public statement. But it's that open letter that's on display. Anyone can read it. That's your life. You're an open letter about Christ, which we ourselves have written, not with pen and ink, but, with, but by the Spirit of the living God. Our message has been engraved, not in stone, but in living men and women. Love the beautiful imagery that he creates. But he jumps from this sense of, because of, the reality is you don't use ink on stone, right? You use ink on paper and you carve in stone, but you don't carve in a heart, in a, on living flesh. And so there's something for us to dive into. There's some imagery there that Paul's trying to help us with. 
But the reality is, is that, and, and these verse, the, the verse right at the very end where it talks about human heart or living men and women, a better translation of that is actually a fleshly heart. That's the word, that's the word, the Greek word used is, is, is actually a description of a fleshly heart. And in a sense, there's, Paul's trying to say, look, there's a, there's a reality of, of, the, of the truth following Jesus and the light and the life of his word that comes and it lands on human flesh. It lands on our humanity and then it, it becomes a story for people to see and to read. But he uses this different imagery and he, and he talks about stone tablets and he talks about fleshly hearts. And those are two very different things. And uh, neither a pen nor a car, you'd be careful if you're carving into a fleshly heart, but it's the language he uses. But it's, it's helpful because it recalls, when he talks about a stone tablet, it recalls to us and we're reminded of an old covenant, and two tablets of stone, a decalogue, ten commandments written by God, law written down and inscribed, carved into stone tablets by the finger of God in Exodus 31. And then Paul shifts and he, he starts to paint a picture of what actually we know to be the new covenant, this, this um, law written on fleshly hearts, the life and the light of God's kingdom written on fleshly, coming through and in and on humanity, fleshly hearts, bringing to mind that concept and understanding of a new covenant, expectation of God's law being written on our hearts, Jeremiah 31. And that's only made possible by actually the removing of a stone heart and replacing it with the spirit, Ezekiel 11. But anyway, in, these, in this imagery that Paul uses, it's just a profound but very simple concept that, that actually our lives are to be a story. That the truth and the light and the life of God's word is to come into our life. It's to hit our humanity in such a way that it comes back through and it tells a story. And in our conversations over the next six weeks in, in small groups, in homes all across this city, we're going to dive into people's stories, things that where God has seeded passion or thoughts or ideas from their experience and their history. And listen, it, it doesn't, you don't have to go to a city group. This is actually what I'm describing to you is the beauty of community. I'm describing to you at some level the normal Christian life that when Paul was speaking to a church in Corinth, he was saying, let a mark of your church community be this. Let your life be an open letter to those around you. Let the reality of, of what is inscribed on your life, let it be filtered through your pain, through your celebration, through your sickness, through whatever season of life. It be, let it hit your humanity and let it be a letter of what it is to pursue Jesus in every time, in every moment, in every season. And so for this city group season, we're going to look at what it is to, uh, to walk in freedom. We're going to look at what it is to, to, to walk naturally supernatural. We're going to dive into st to stories around what, what it is to express God in the ordinary, what it is to, to explore the adventure of following Jesus, what it is to hear God's voice for ourselves, and ultimately how we carry God's heart for compassion. And listen, guys, this is not a definitive list of every aspect of, of our Christian faith. It's six stories, six aspects and reality of truth that we find in God's word that has hit the life of somebody in our community. And it's been stirred with passion and it's been mixed with pain and it's been come through grief and it's come through celebration and it's put on display on a little 15 minute video in somebody's home this week. But here, this is not just what we do for city groups. This is the normal Christian life. 
That's what Paul's helping us with. He's helping us, helping us understand that our lives are to be an open book. And this was the message that Paul was constantly bringing to the church in Corinth. And as part of that journey, he was committed to letting his life tell a story of Jesus. And ultimately, the, the simplicity of, of, being, of pursuing Jesus and following Jesus is simply this. It, it, it is, is being with Jesus and being like Jesus. And Paul, in, in his journey, was wanting to put on display what that looked like for the church. His life told a story. But he introduces us again to this second concept, which is really closely linked to the first. And that is that, that we are to be imitators of people who are imitating Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And this is what, again, Paul was instructing, helping the church in Corinth get to grips. This, this early body of believers who were just trying to figure out, how do we follow Jesus? How do we give, he laid down his life for me? How do I lay my life down for him? How do we do this following Jesus? How, am I, how do I become an apprentice to Jesus? And this is what Paul says in his simplicity. Be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. See, our lives are a living story. But those stories are there for others to learn from, to grow from, and ultimately to help shape the journey of those around us. That's what we need to give permission to one another to do. As long as it lines up with Jesus, then actually there's much that we can learn from one another as that story of Jesus and as we follow Jesus is reflected through our humanity and through our lives. And Paul, I think, was acutely aware and I don't think he had a psychology degree. I think, certainly don't think he was medically inclined, but he had a, 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 a real unique ability to understand that humanity has a normal propensity to learn things and to, to mimic and to imitate things. And he wanted to help draw that attention, that focus away from anything else other than Jesus. And again, even him, him saying, imitate me, it was always in the context of, as I imitate Jesus. The reality is it all stems back to how do we follow Jesus? What's fascinating now is that we actually, we know medicine, science tells us that 30% of our, our, our neurons, our, our brain cells, our mirror cells, and we are constantly, actually we are constantly assimilating the situation that we were in and we reflect back, we mirror what we see, what we experience. That's what neurologically we do. And Paul somehow had connected with this and understood that actually I need to orientate and help people, humanity, connect to being orientated to, to be the imitation of Christ himself as I model that to people around me. His life was a story and it was there to, for others to learn, to grow, to nurture the things of Jesus in their life. But I think there is this, we have to be aware, even in our own culture, of this uh, propensity, this neurological reality that we, we have mirroring cells and actually there's, there's something within our, within, our, within our makeup that is constantly assimilating what's going on around us and we become like it. We imitate it. We, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this just the other day, but um, how many of you remember the 90s? Yeah, <laughs> it was way back when. I remember that I had, to, I had to wait till I either went to the dentist or I went to the doctor to go and sit down with a trashy thing called like Hello or any other sort of like celebrity magazine and just discover how my life was just inferior to all of theirs, right? And there was a sense of like, oh, we would open up Hello. This is just me. 
Anyone else read Hello? But you'd open it up and you'd see like a wedding that I would never have because I could never afford it and these parties that everyone went to that I never went to because I never got invited to parties. And I would flick through and I'd be like, all these lives are better than mine. And there's this kind of perpetual thing of like, I want to imitate something that's way better than me. Nowadays, you don't need to wait to go to the doctors to find hello. Like you literally, it's right here on your phone. There's a reality that our social Pinterest is, I hear, is a thing. Uh, but it's, the whole thing is, is like you're spending time just flicking through other people's lives and fashion and home designs. You're like, I like that. I want to emulate that. And you're constantly like, you're trying to feed off other things so that you can emulate, so you can, so you can in some way mimic like you just have to, social media, Instagrams, all the other ones. <laughs> I'm 40 now, I'm technically enable. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like you, you dive into that stuff and it's like, oh, you know, I, I want to imitate certain things. I want to be like that. I, you know. And remember, like, just as a side note, like that is the highlight reel of somebody's life, right? Just remember that. It's the highlight reel. We, Sarah and I have just been on holiday and Sarah's posting brilliant pictures of pools and our kids smiling and I'm like, she's not, she's not taking a picture like when we're kicking our kids to bed because they won't go to bed and they certainly won't not take their phones and we're having the same argument that we have ever, like, no, you can't take your phone to bed. Oh, it's not fair. It's just what we do. It's like, oh, and we're not posting that picture. We're not, it's not, that's not, it's not the picture we're posting. We're posting beaches and ice creams and all that jazz. But listen, in all of that, there, there is this propensity in all of us, this leaning for us to mimic. And what Paul's so helpfully saying is, is, that, is, that, is that in this journey of following Jesus and being an apprentice to Jesus, following Jesus as, we, as, it, as, as his story, as his life marks our lives, that actually let's lean and orientate ourselves around people that are really following Jesus. Let's do that. Let's not, let's not orientate our lives around celebrity. They don't know Jesus necessarily. Let's not orientate ourselves. And Paul's saying, look, orientate yourself around me. He was anchoring himself in that middle of the journey between I'm following Jesus. And that simply meant I'm wanting to be with him and I'm wanting to be like him. And this is what he's simply saying. He's saying, like, as, as the normal Christian life, let's be around people who want to be with Jesus and be like Jesus. At that level, it's very simple. But what we pursue, what we imitate, what we're passionate for is what shows up in the story of our lives. And listen, that what shows up in our story as we pursue Jesus, it becomes a, a, a thing for others to learn from. That's why I'm so excited about this City Group series because, you know, like I say, there's, there's six stories, six lives, six things that people are passionate about that we've unearthed and are putting in front of you. But listen, there are several hundred people in our community at all different places and stages with, with grief, with pain, with sickness, with celebration, with babies, with no babies, married, not married. There's a beautiful myriad of stories in this room. And as we pursue Jesus, they all become, as they hit the humanity of our lives, they all become something that we get to help one another nurture ourselves towards as we orientate towards Jesus together. And that's why I love this series, because it's not about the six stories. It's about the several hundred stories. But actually, is there a willingness in our community to, to unearth those, to be intentional around relationships, to move past surface and to say, hey, what is your story? What are you passionate about? What God, you know, how, much, how much in your conversations with one another does, does this sentence come out? What's God teaching you at the moment? What are you reading in Scripture? 
What's the, what's the thing that you're most enamored about Jesus at the moment about? I want to learn from that. And so there's a beauty to how we collectively run together. And I want to finish with that, that thought. And it's something we talk about a great deal. In fact, before I do that, I, I was thinking that, um, you know, one of, the, um, one of the things about light is that um, it carries a spectrum of colors. And I was thinking about this in terms of our community. And I feel like I, I got this picture of, the, of a sense of, you know, when light, when truth, when the light of God's word hits our lives or hits a, hits a community, it breaks down into a, into a myriad of colors, spectrum of colors. So, so think about like one thing, like the love of God, God's goodness and the love of God. Listen, that might hit every single one of our lives, but it might hit me in a season of grief and pain. So what that looks like when that gets discovered through the humanity of my life, that I can still own the beauty of the love of God in my darkest moment, in my greatest pain. What does that have to teach somebody that's different to the love of God hitting my life in the point when everything's going well, that my, that, that my health is good, that I have a job, I have a, like at certain levels when, when that reality hits my life, that's got something else to teach us. And that's equally valuable. But there's a spectrum of color in this room. And I love the fact that, that we get to discover the God story on one another's life and it can enrich and bless and encourage and provoke and challenge each one of us. But it has to come in that sense of an intentional running together. Ephesians 2, and I want to kind of finish with these thoughts. Ephesians 2, and we've talked on this a great deal, so I will just throw it out there again by way of a reminder. We have our hearts as a community to run together. We actually don't do small groups so that you can have community. We do small groups so you can find community. You know, community is not a, is not a meeting, like, this isn't community. This is just a place where you find people to go get life-on-life -life connection and invest in the value of building healthy life and community with one another. But this is what Ephesians, again, Paul painting this beautiful picture of the church. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are, all, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's beautiful language that Paul's using to help provoke us to understand that we are connected. We are not disparate people building our own individual lives. We are interconnected, woven together, fabric of family, which God wants to immerse himself and make a dwelling place in. And so I think the, the beauty of what we discover, and, and, and not just in the six weeks, but in the time that you spend with one another, is that there is a knitting together. There is a genuine community that is not a rhythm of meetings, but is your life recognizing and owning the value of its story connected to somebody else's life and seeing that value help point them to Jesus. It's somebody else's life and their value being an open letter to your life and helping point you to Jesus. And as we join ourselves, as we knit ourselves, as we intentionally build the kind of friendships and family that God always intended our family to have, then something of beauty begins to emerge. 
because we realize the rich tapestry, that the, the God never wasn't looking for uniformity. He was looking for unity, and that is that we are together. He's not looking for us all to look the same, sound the same, all wear skinny jeans, all not wear skinny jeans, all be like, I love the fact that this community is young and old. I think we can be more diverse, but I love the fact that there is diversity in the room. Plenty of churches that are very homogeneous, that they go, they go fishing with a fishing rod when Jesus always went fishing with a net. It was all about catching fish. Didn't matter what type. That's a sidebar. Anyway. So I want to pray for us this morning just by way of commissioning us into not just the next six weeks in small groups. And if you haven't signed up, you're more than welcome to. There's still spots to do that. But, but listen, I want to commission us again into the beauty of community. The beauty of knowing that our lives have a story. And that story is, is valuable to me, is my story, but it's valuable to you. And you're valuable to me and the story of God on your life, whether it comes through your pain or whether it comes through your tears or it comes through happiness and joy, has incredible value as we learn to follow Jesus together. So can you stand?